1: sometimes when you're a charismatic leader, or you've been called by God and you know it, that it can be all about you and not about the service of God. Well, God does not design that the church work that way. God wants every man and woman in a humble place, including the leader, who should be a humble leader, doing their part with no sense that they are indispensable or great in the church or the eyes of God.
2: That's Pastor Michael Tanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Keep this telephone number in mind throughout today's broadcast, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time. Once again, that phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentanko is entitled, When the Many Don't Matter. That's when the many don't matter, and you can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway. Here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko, with today's Reaching Your Heart.
1: Lord God, give us the mind of Christ to love people, Lord, to love people, not to be about ourselves, our own agendas, but to humble up, to come to you through the prophets, and to be like Christ, to seek and find, but to love people. So we find each other as we find you. Grant us this year as a year of grace. This holiday season, Father, many people here need to visit with family. May families come to Christ this Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. The recent ISIS attack on Paris, how many of you were following that in the news recently? With me? I mean, who would have believed that the world would have been transformed by such a thing like this? A terrorist organization that has taken over a large portion of Iraq and Syria is threatening Western civilization. Am I right? I mean, huge. I mean, they're talking about weapons of mass destruction being unleashed on the United States of America. I went down to the World Bank this week, as I do every week for a Bible study, and that makes me a little concerned. Does it make you concerned? Now, I'm not afraid, but we have this natural concern because we are living in a time where the world is coming unglued as we near the coming of Christ. These days... This kind of fear has found its way into all kinds of things. People are trying any and everything they can to ensure that they'll be okay by manipulating the dollar, by financial schemes, this, that, or the other thing. And friend, if you are relying on something like that, you will not be ready for the coming of the Lord. It's not about the dollar. It's about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our confidence is in the Word. Our confidence is in the Savior. Now, in the real estate market, my wife's parents are real estate agents. I was able to learn something this week which caught my attention. The real estate market bears witness today that people are afraid of sudden disasters, so they're selling homes that are really crazy and off the wall. It happened in Georgia this week, carried on national news. It's on the market for $17.5 million. I can't imagine a house for $17.5 million a luxury home that is 100% underground, except for maybe just the entry. The home is essentially a bunker that is 45 feet down. Based on the real estate listing, it is advertised to withstand a 20 kiloton nuclear blast. Now, why would someone build a house like that? I mean, that hits your home, you're okay, they say. $17.5 million for a secure house That will not bring you down. But don't despair. The amenities of life are there too. It's not just a house or a hole in the ground. The home boasts of a home theater seats, conference rooms, an underground heating and cooling system, a first aid nursing room. Now, if you get hit by a nuclear blast, you're going to need some first aid. A commercial kitchen and a shooting range. Now, no scheme, no idea like that is going to save you at the end of time. Do you hear me? I mean, the things that matter really matter. What will save you is a relationship with Jesus Christ in the Word of God. That's what will save you. To be in covenant relationship with Christ will save you. For $17.5 million, you and your family can escape the onslaught of a multitude and sleep securely at night 45 feet under the ground. Today, the super wealthy are facing down the specter of sudden destruction by extraordinary measures like this. Maybe you have your own scheme in mind how you will escape end-time events. Well, forget it if you want to be with God. We have been told by inspiration... That no special provision should be made for the final time of trouble other than getting right with God. Why? Because it gets our minds off of the things of God to be so focused on Prepperville disasters. Am I speaking kind of clear here? We need to be in Christ, not in schemes. We need to be focused on the Word of God, not our conniving to get around what we really need, an abiding faith in Jesus And so I bring you back to basics as I'm calling myself to the same today. Friend, in the history of Judah, the wealthy king Jehoshaphat could have relied on something like this to get him out of trouble, but he had learned by repentance and relying on God that he had to come deep within and rely on the Lord to rescue him from trouble. His life bears witness that choices matter and that the right kind of choice and the forward kind of action can redirect a life and a kingdom toward a godly purpose. Jehoshaphat was not a good king because he was a perfect man. I mean, no one is perfect in the sight of God. We hear way too much in the Christian church today about how perfect someone should or shouldn't be. We should hear a lot more about how the Lord can do marvelous things in our life. It's a self-centered focus to focus on personal character perfection at the expense of losing sight of the cross of Christ. The person who clings to the cross of Christ is going to make it to heaven. Their character is going to be perfected as far as God's concerned, and the focus is right. But the person who is focusing on themselves is not going to have a good character, even though they think they might, and they're going to lose Christ. So give me Christ. That's what I need in my life. So Jehoshaphat wasn't a perfect king, but he was God's king. He was good because he made the right decisions. The decisive turning point for the king came when he organized the people of Judah to become a just and righteous kingdom in the eyes of God. A kingdom can become all kinds of things, but when a humble leader makes a decision to do the right thing, very often others follow that person or that leader in the right. So based on the evidence, King Jehoshaphat reorganized his kingdom like Moses, who was instructed by his wise father-in-law Jethro, the high priest of Midian, to allow everybody to have their part to play in the kingdom. You know, sometimes when you're a charismatic leader, or you've been called by God and you know it, that it can be all about you and not about the service of God. Right? Right. Well, God does not design that the church work that way. God wants every man and woman in a humble place, including the leader, who should be a humble leader, doing their part with no sense that they are indispensable or great in the church or the eyes of God. And so the whole structure of Israel was organized so that there could be leaders and judges in Israel all the way down to small groups so that everyone had a part to play. Exodus 18, 17-23. Here's Jethro's advice. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good, Moses. You and the people with you will wear themselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to perform it alone. A leader that is trying to do everything himself will wear out the people that he is leading. That's what his father-in-law is telling him. Verse 19, Listen now to my voice. I will give you counsel and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. What does that mean? You shall pray for the people. You are to intercede for the people. But verse 20, And you shall teach them the statutes and the decisions and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. In other words, you shall lead them by teaching and preaching. Verse 21, Moreover, choose able men from all the people, such as fear God, men who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as ruler of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. But you cannot do it alone. So reorganize the kingdom so that God's gifted ones in the midst can help lead. Verse 22. And let them judge the people at all times. They shall bring to you every great matter, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden. And what does it say? They'll bear the burden what? With you. So here is a collective kingdom committed to God, doing a work for God as a kingdom unit. Verse 23, if you do this. Now why would he say that? Because he could have chosen not to do it that way. If you do this, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. I mean, this is a model of how the church should function. There is no place for one person in the church who is not doing a work for God unless that person likes bribes. Based on this text, they're not to work in the church. That's a good enough statement. So we are to work for the Lord as we give ourselves in service to Him unselfishly. Friend, godly administration is a just administration. And Moses took the good counsel from God through his father-in-law, the high priest of Midian, and he got it right. He did not burn out. As a king, Jehoshaphat didn't try to be innovative. I mean, there's nothing in Jehoshaphat's career that says, well, I'm creative here. I'm going to restructure this kingdom based on genius and wisdom. Like Solomon, I'll do new things. He's not really trying to do that. Instead, he tried to be faithful to God's Word and God's prophets so that he could replicate greatness in the past. So he modeled his kingdom after the example of Moses and Jethro in the law of Moses. 2nd Chronicles 19, 4 9 Here it is. Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and he brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. I mean, this is a huge statement. He brought them back to the Lord. I mean, is it possible that churches can drift? Is it possible that we as individuals can drift? Hey, you know what? If you want to do a great work for God, bring someone back to the Lord. And maybe that first someone is you. You come back to the Lord and use your energy to bring someone who has slipped away into a relationship with the Lord. That's what he starts out doing. It's possible to drift. He knew it. He did something about it. Today, we don't need innovative leaders in our church as much as we need faithful leaders who will turn the hearts of the people of God back to God. Verse 5, it says, He appointed judges in the land and all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, Consider what you do, for you judge not for man, but for the Lord. He is with you in giving judgment. Now then... Let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed what you do. For there is no perversion of justice with the Lord our God or partiality. And here it is, or taking bribes. He's going right back to the instruction given to Moses. Moreover, in Jerusalem, Jehoshaphat appointed certain Levites and priests and heads of families of Israel to give judgment for the Lord and to decide disputed cases. They had their seat at Jerusalem.
2: You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. More with Pastor Michael Tanko in just a moment. A reminder, we are a listener-funded ministry. We do appreciate your support. If you can help us out with a financial contribution, here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. You can also find us on the web at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. We appreciate you listening. Don't forget, at the end of today's broadcast, we have a special book for you. We'd love to be able to give that to you. So stay tuned to find out more about that at the close of today's Reaching Your Heart. Here he is, Pastor Mike, once again.
1: And he charged them, thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with how much of a heart? What does it say? Now, friend, that is a huge statement as well. When you choose to serve the Lord, are you serving the Lord with 100% commitment, a whole heart, or just kind of sliding by to do your duties as a Christian? Have you asked yourself that question? Your position the church, is it for you just a place to look like you're serving? Or is it a place to pour your energy out for Jesus Christ and the church of Christ on earth? You see, he's calling them to serve with a whole heart, quoting, of course, the great commandment found in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 6.5, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart. With what? All your soul. And with all your mind. There's nothing left that should not be placed on the altar. A fully committed, vibrant believer. That's what God is asking for us. Can we do this of ourselves? No. But Christ in us can Great men and great women are people who love God supremely and who obey God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind, period. All of this becomes the backdrop because this is just the setting for what happens next. Jehoshaphat effected that kind of change in his kingdom so that his people changed and he changed. And when that happened, suddenly something else happened that threatened to bring it all down. It is the challenge of the many who often appear to destroy the faith of the few who turn their hearts to God. It is a principle born in hell, not in heaven, that men and women, when they turn to God, Satan moves upon the many to destroy the few. When Satan cannot delude them, when he cannot deceive them, when he cannot mislead them, he chooses instead to destroy them. And so we see that this kingdom that had started over with God becomes a big bullseye on a target, and the devil is out to get Jehoshaphat and his people. Second Chronicles 21. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hadza Adzon Tamar, that is, in Gedi. The key phrase here is, after this. See, as soon as he did it right, as soon as he made the choice to pull it together and to script a new future for his people based on love for God, the devil pulled out the stops and all the kingdoms set their sight on Jehoshaphat. Here, the contrast is made in the text between the some who informed Jehoshaphat and the many who threatened him with war. The place of their encampment is very significant in the story. Chadza Adzon Tamar means in Hebrew, dividing of the date palms. And in Gedi means fountain of the young goat. Now, we don't name our places like that, but they used to name places in antiquity because they had meaning. In the law of Moses, God's people are likened to date palms who stand tall for God in the difficult sojourn of life. As trees of righteousness, God's people are often watered by springs of righteousness that go deep into God's Word and that are fountains of the Holy Spirit in their life. In Exodus fifteen twenty-seven, when Moses led the people of Israel to Elam, just before Sinai, they drank from 12 springs of water and there were 70 palm trees growing around the 12 springs. Now why 12 springs and why 70 palm trees? The 12 springs of water... Represented the 12 tribes of Israel that were meant to water the 70 nations of the world. In Genesis 10, you look at the genealogy, there are 70 nations that come out of Noah. And you look at the nation of Israel, they were organized into twelve tribes. So why were they in existence? To fulfill the promise of Abraham. That in Abraham all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So the twelve nations were to go deep into God's word. They were to be springs of life for a world. So that the world could have righteous palm trees. Righteous people planted by the rivers of water. So the many always take their stand to destroy the few. Take their stand to serve God and others so that righteousness can abound in the earth. David gave this description in Psalms 1 verse 1. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It starts with the word blessed. You want to be blessed? I mean, I want to be blessed in my life. Blessed is the man or woman, understood, who walks not where? In the counts of the wicked, nor stands where? Where? In the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The text continues. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. in contrast to those things, he delights in God's word. And on his law, he meditates what? Day and night. In other words, he doesn't worry about the home entertainment system. He's not focused on the latest movie out there. He's not worried about some serial program or the latest novel that sacrifices morality. He's concerned or she is concerned about the word of God in their life. And that fills their empty time, because there is no empty time. Their entertainment is focused on growing spiritually. That person is different. He or she is like a tree planted by what? By the streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Now, yielding its fruit in its season means you may be in the spring of life, you may be in the summer of life, the fall, or the winter of life. You will bear fruit for God if you are a righteous tree planted by the springs of water. I like the last part. In all that he does, what does it say? Prospers. I mean, you don't need a scheme in your life to prosper. You need to be planted by the rivers of water. You need God in your life to prosper. So we need to humble up, stop the kind of thinking that's so prevalent in the world, and get back to the things that really matter. Jehoshaphat kind of thinking. Friend, the person who obeys God's word And honors the prophets, that person prospers in the plan of God. In the church today, we do not need innovative people as much as we need faithful people who will honor God's word. But how do you prosper when the many set themselves with great force to destroy you? Why? Because you stand with the few, the remnant who have taken their stand for God and His word. What happens when you're on the hot seat because you're following Christ? You ever been there? I've been there, man, two days on a witness stand before a federal jury, grilling me about my faith. I still second guess myself about that whole experience. Have you ever had to go under that kind of thing? Friend, one day you may have to stand before tribunals and give witness to your faith and then be crucified like the Christians in Iraq are being crucified. You know, if you don't love Christ now, you won't love him then. So we've got to get this thing right. We can't be playing like we're action heroes when the Holy Spirit's really not in us. We have to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. So how do you prosper when this kind of pressure is huge and it comes weighing down on you? What do you do when the fear of the Lord is threatened by the fear of men and many stand ready to end the few? Second Chronicles 20, verse 3, then Jehoshaphat feared, well, that's logical, And he set himself to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. You follow that? The new court. When threatened by evil, Jehoshaphat, good king Jehoshaphat, took three decisive actions Needed at that time. Let's look at them. Action number one Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. If you're in trouble in your life and it's not working out for you, you know the very first thing you need to do is not fix the trouble. You need to seek the Lord. I mean, that's where it starts. Now, you don't have to know how to find Him. You start seeking Him, you take the first necessary step toward getting a real solution in your life. When threatened by the many, Jehoshaphat sought the Lord. Action number two. Jehoshaphat humbled himself before the Lord. The text says he sought a solemn fast in all Judah. It was like the Day of Atonement fast when every person in Israel was to afflict themselves before the Lord or they'd be cut off from God's people. You know, when you seek the Lord, do you seek the Lord on your terms or God's terms? If you seek Him on God's terms, you get on your knees, you look at yourself, you admit those areas in your life where you've messed up. You don't play mind games with God. You say, Lord, you see me like an open book, and you have a brokenness and sorrow of heart. You humble yourself before the Lord. Why is that necessary? Well, here's why. You need it to get right with God. If you're going to seek God, you can't do it in a dishonest kind of way. When you ask the Lord, and you ask the Lord to seek the Lord, if you want to find Him, you must humble yourself before the Lord to find Him. Action number three that Jehoshaphat did. Jehoshaphat assembled the people to seek the Lord. It's one thing to seek God alone. It's far more effective to seek God with others who are seeking God with you. Are you with me? I mean, when you come and you pray together, and you're seeking God in church or in small group fellowships, the life of the church... It's felt the deepest in the right kind of way when we grow in these kind of gatherings together. If you're a pillar saint and you're not finding a way to fellowship with other believers so you can grow in Christ, share Christ in a small group setting, then you're missing a huge, huge benefit. Now, we have prayer meeting here on Wednesday night. Raise your hand, prayer meeting folk. Okay, now, prayer meeting's a small group here. It's one of many that are occurring throughout the week, throughout our homes and the like. We gather here at Cedar Ridge. Wednesday night, 7.30. We sing, and we're going to be using the love of God, that song. We're going to practice that. We're going to do that here at church before too long. We have a theme song at prayer meeting that we're going to be a choir one day. Now, I don't think we'll win any contests, but we'll get the church singing along, all right? Now, why is this important? Because, friend, if you're trying to get to heaven without being connected in to a faith fellowship that's prayerfully minded, you're going to have a hard time getting to heaven. If you aren't a part of one, become a part of one. Find a way, and we can have more of these in the church. It's healthy and grand when it occurs in that way.
2: Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenco. We are a listener-supported ministry and would love for you to partner with us as we continue to present Christ-centered, biblical truths of Scripture in practical and relevant ways. Call us right now at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. And if you do call right now for a donation of any size, Pastor Mike would like to give you a book entitled Satisfied, How God Can Meet your deepest needs. Visit the website reachingyourheart.com to find out more about this ministry, Reaching Your Heart, and Pastor Michael Oksentenko. That's reachingyourheart.com. If you do have the means to bless us with a little larger gift of $500 to $1,000, it would particularly help us right now to continue to bring you these messages on this station. Eight 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 two four four 244 hope That's 888-244-4673. You can donate right there on the website, reachingyourheart.com. 888-244-HOPE. Thanks for listening. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.